Welcome to the Agent of Wealth podcast with Mark Boudis from Boudis Financial. In this podcast, Mark helps guide you towards financial freedom, ensure you never run out of money, and create a balance in life that prioritizes what is most important to you. Join us for this journey as Mark draws from years of expertise and guest experts to solve the multiple wealth building challenges involved in your financial life. Welcome back to the Agent of Wealth. This is your host, Mark Bowdis. Today, I'm joined by the Bowdis Financial team, John Williams, Kayla Waller, and Kira Mackesy for the sixth episode of our Bowdis Financial Book Club. Today, we'll discuss the book, Think Again, The Power of Knowing What You Don't Know by Adam Grant. This selection was made by Kira, so I'll hand it over to her to lead the episode. Thanks, Mark. That's right. When it came to my turn to pick a book for us to read, I didn't necessarily have one in mind. Um, we read this book over the summer, and my main priority was just finding a book that was a little bit more light, but also still might be valuable to the team. I feel like there's nothing worse than being on the beach and reading a bad book. So I did take the, my like favorite app to look for book recommendations. It's called Goodreads. And I saw this book was on like a roundup for being one of the best books of 2021, which is when Think Again was published. It's now a number one New York Times bestseller. And the more I looked into it, the reviews and even heard some people talking about it, the more positive things I saw. So just for anyone who's listening, who's maybe never heard of the book, I'll read a really quick snippet from um, the description. So it says, intelligence is usually seen as the ability to think and learn. But in a rapidly changing world, there's another set of cognitive skills that might matter more which is the ability to rethink and unlearn. In our daily lives, too many of us favor the comfort of conviction over the discomfort of doubt. We listen to opinions that make us feel good instead of ideas that make us think hard. And the result of that is that our beliefs get brittle long before our bones. This book reveals that we don't have to believe everything we think or internalize everything we feel. It's an invitation to let go of views that are no longer serving us well, and instead prize the mental flexibility, humility, and curiosity over that consistency in our beliefs. So I don't know about you guys, but in reading that, I was immediately intrigued. I noticed that as I've gotten older, I realized every passing year just how much I don't know. And I think that's sort of like one of the power of of knowledge is knowing what you don't know. Um, so for an example, just after graduating college, I went into my first corporate job and I had some existing working experience in what I do, which is marketing for status financial. So in addition to finishing up my degree, I had some experience on campus and I was pretty confident going into the work world. But as with anything, there's still a ton of things that I did not know. And it's funny because when I rethink situations from that time in my life, I don't think I had come to accept what I didn't know entirely. So sometimes I felt, you know, a little bit discouraged, or I even felt like a little insulted at times when in situations, I didn't know what what to do, or I didn't have knowledge of some specific thing. And I feel like instead of admitting that I couldn't do something and educating myself on the topic, I was more likely to just brush it off. But now that I get older, I realize just how young and naive and uneducated I was, even with education. So I think this is experience that many people go through. Um, And then just getting into all of your thoughts, 
for any listeners who don't know, I will sort of structure this episode by asking each team member a question about the book. So Mark, I'll start with you. Um, I know that you really enjoy books that make their message through storytelling. And in Think Again, we read how an international debate champion wins arguments and how the author has coaxed Yankees fans to root for the Red Sox and so on. What was one story from the book that really stood out to you? Well, yeah. So I, I was looking forward to reading this book. I read one of Grant's previous books called Give and Take, which talks about success and how it's, you know, everyone thinks of success as talent, hard work, passion, but a lot of it is how you work or interact with others. Uh, Adam would definitely have a hard time getting me to root for the Red Sox um, as a Yankees fan. Um, but like you mentioned, I'm a fan of storytelling, using analogies in the books I read. I think it really does, it really helps drive home the points that, that, you know, an author is trying to make. And Grant does a great job of this in Think Again. A big theme of the book is that he tra- tries to drive home is how we all should think like scientists. And, you know, if he says, if you are a scientist by trade, rethinking is fundamental. And what he claims is that you're, you're expected to doubt what you know, be curious about what you don't know, and update your view based on new data. He drives home that point by, he says, we often don't think like scientists. And what we do is we slip into the mindset of three professions. And he calls them the three Ps. So preacher, we act like a preacher when our, we think that our sacred beliefs are in jeopardy. So what we do is we deliver sermons to protect our ideals. Then he says, we also can be prosecutors. And that's how we act is we recognize flaws in other people's reasonings and we put together arguments to prove them wrong. And we think everything is a, you know, we must win our case or we must win this debate. And then there's politicians. And that's when we're seeking to win over an audience. So we, what we do is we here, we campaign lobby for the approval of our, in this case, constituents or whoever we're trying to, to win over. And by adhering to those three Ps, what we don't do is we don't rethink our views. And what he's saying is that we should, we should always question it, should always doubt it and always look for the, you know, the, the data or the, the facts behind it. One of the things that he also talks about is how we're subject to different biases. One of them that really hit home was, uh, what he uses is an example of confirmation bias. And what confirmation bias is, is that's when you expect or want to see or when your beliefs, they hijacked in the neutrality in selecting or interpreting data. Classic example. This is your political side where you only watch one news channel because the commentary and the views are directly sided with yours. I took that and I also said, well, how does that apply, you know, to what we do in the financial space? And confirmation bias, it's really prevalent in the investing world or in the financial industry. It could be, you know, someone over investing in a particular stock or sector. So you may have like a client who's committed to owning shares of a particular company. They may ignore unfavorable news about that company or unfavorable projections about that company. It can also keep investors from realistically viewing market conditions. So maybe they focus on some expert opinions, but they ignore other ones. And you know what it can do it, in the same way that Grant says, it can harm our decision-making process because we're, we have incomplete information. Taking this back to the book and how to act like a scientist, Grant says that being a scientist is a frame of mind. They run experiments to test hypothesis. And really, we want to do is take that mechanism of operating and translate that or transition that to other fields. So that way, um, you know, as people, we can make better choices. Yeah, I appreciate that application to like what we do 
in our work. And I think a lot of the stories that really resonated with me had to do with the like weather predictors. There's these people who will make predictions and will get like accolades or like be recognized for the predictions that do come true. One of the points that I took away from one of those stories was that there was a very successful predictor who would write, this is my prediction, but these are the facts that could change my prediction over time. And I think that could also apply to like your beliefs of like in investing. So like say you really believe in a specific company or in a specific fund or whatever the case may be, or in a specific industry. But what are the things that are going to have to happen for you to shift your belief? So I feel like that's also like kind of a good way of looking at things. So like a scientist, a scientist, they really pivot. We see that all the time where someone will like a particular company, a particular stock, they'll invest in it. And all of a sudden things go downhill. They're attached to it. They don't want to be wrong in that decision. And what they do is they'll just hang on, hold on with the hopes of this will eventually turn around while ignoring maybe information that that's out there or new data that comes out there regarding that company. All right, Kayla, I'll move on to you. Uh, you're the youngest on the team. And although thinking again has nothing to do with age, but I was wondering if you could relate at all to what I was saying earlier. And what is your take, Adam Grant's call to like the joy of being wrong? So like accepting being wrong. And then also has reading this book changed your outlook on thinking at all? Yeah, I liked the chapter about the joy of being wrong. I don't think I've ever viewed being wrong as a good thing before. Like I've based most of being wrong on like my college experience where it usually isn't a good thing. But reading this chapter, I thought it was interesting. The chapter starts by talking about a study from 1959 at Harvard where there's subjects, those were just um, college students, they're interrogated and they, the person interrogating them would just aggressively like insult all of their worldviews. And the goal was essentially to get the subjects to crack. And they found that the ones whose identities and beliefs were really intertwined were the first ones to crack and the ones who were able to separate the two didn't. I think that's a really extreme example but I think it kind of shows Grant's point that you have a choice when you receive new information, that you can attach your opinions to your identity and not consider new information. Or like Mark was saying, you could be a scientist and question everything. And then to the answer the second part of your question, I really like to quote from the book that says, if you don't look back at yourself and think, wow, how stupid I was a year ago, then you must not have learned much in that last year. I feel like whenever I reflect, I always think, wow, I was really stupid this time. I've learned a lot since then. And then I think the biggest takeaway for me is to try to view being wrong as a good thing. And to do that, you have to be able to detach your present from your past and then your opinions from your identity. Yeah, I think one of the tips that he gave was instead of attaching your identity to your belief, you can create your identity as the goal of your identity is to find the truth. Your beliefs are just flexible, but your identity is trying to find the truth. Um, John, I move on to you. Can you tell us about a time that you use the power of rethinking to change your belief on something? And then after that, if you could just give your ideas as a whole on the book, I know you do a really good job of breaking down some of the hits and misses in our book club. So would love your like view as a as a whole. 
Yeah. First, I'd like to say like how much I, I really, truly enjoyed this book. I, I had heard of Adam before. I've never had an opportunity to really you follow him, you really understand what he's all about. And um, I have to say that at the highest level, I was really impressed with his ability to break down every chapter and every point he was trying to get across in a really fair way, you know, whether it's politically or just not expressing his views on the situation. And he seemed to really kind of cover both sides if there was an argument involved. And I, I really appreciated that because I, I find, find that really, really hard to do. Um, and it's, it kind of ties back to the idea of the book where we, we just kind of have a tendency and a bias sometimes. But at a personal level, when it comes to the, a lot of the things he was talking about, the thing that really stuck with me, it was the, the, the political environment and the, the dichotomy that exists in political, like really like American politics or really politics in general between, let's say, just like Republican, Democrat, left and right. And he uses that a lot, I think, even sometimes in his research, because it's really evident, not just but probably everybody, that there is this like, this left and right and this like, it's almost like a team aspect, you know, it almost reminded me of the, the Red Sox and the Yankees. Like, at one point, you pick a team and you're like with that team, no matter what. And it's, it's just really when you really take a step back and look at everyone arguing about all these things in politics and you really think about it, it's kind of silly. You know, it doesn't make a whole lot of sense that we as humans would, you know, everyone over here would agree on everything and everyone over here would agree on everything, you know, because there's just so many different aspects, so many different things that are involved, you know, in politics or, you know, government or whatever it may be that, you know, at some point somebody should say, all right, well, I think about, you know, these things, I agree with the left on these things, and I agree with the right on these things, you know, and, and you don't see that a whole lot. Maybe people do feel that way. But it really became evident to me during the pandemic, where you know, you're sitting back, and there's not a whole lot to do, you're stuck in the house when it all first started. And a lot of the things that were going on that were politically charged. And you just sometimes you're on social media, and you get in these wormholes or on Twitter, and you're watching people just really like go at it. For me, I would disagree on something with someone who is, a, let's say, a close friend of mine. And I would, I would think to myself, like, how do we see this so differently? You know, like, and in a lot of ways, maybe we're, both of us or, you know, a lot of us are just not giving ourselves a chance to take a step back because we've committed to that idea, right? We've committed and it's like, it's ingrained in us. So, you know, when we're, when we're out there, like, even I'm, I'm, I'm guilty of it. If there's something that I feel like someone has accused me of being wrong of, because Google is this massive plethora of information, you can just look for the articles that actually agree with what you're saying and then share those, you know, and then on the other side of it too. So it's real easy for you to just like, just look, I'm not looking for information on this subject so I can learn about it. I'm looking for those people who are talking about what supports the way they, that I feel. And it kind of snowballs, right? You know, if you're not really taking the opportunity to think again and really understand like, all right, what's going on here? In the end, it really started to like, I don't want to say annoy me, but in a way you start to lose faith in the ability for us to kind of come and meet in the middle and kind of talk about these things. So I started to really think about it. And I, I remember thinking to myself, like, all right, what's going on here? Because, you know, we're, we're all good people. And even if it's in a small circle of conversation and, you know, you really start with these like specific things and you're like, okay, we disagree on these specific things. Okay. So let's take it up a level. What are we trying to accomplish? And then you know, keep going up. And, and, and most of the time when you look at those disagreements and those things, like you can actually just look at it and say, okay, 
at the end of the day, like we're, we both agree on this. So eventually you get to something that we both agree on, even if it's just something as simple as like, we want the best for people. I mean, whatever it is, you know? And then a lot of times what we disagree on is, is like, how do we get to that point? You know, like it really is more about like those things. And, and, and to me, that gave me a lot of comfort in knowing like, okay, like I have a disagreement. They might not see it the way that I do, but at the end of the day, like just using an example, let's say climate, climate change or whatever it may be. Like, I think at the end of the day, like everybody agrees that like, we want to do the best for the environment and, and, and the earth. We might disagree on like how to, what we should be doing to like get to that point. You know, and I think that if we can like find that common ground, I feel like it could possibly add to the comfort of, okay, let's forget about what we disagree on. What do we agree on here? Um, and, you know, I started to try to approach the things like that because I, I, I do think that it also goes hand in hand with the idea of like, just feeling like, you know, if you're like being wrong is that is um, and admitting you're wrong and finding joy in what you're wrong, just almost doesn't, admit, it doesn't exist in politics at all. Like you just, you're just not seeing that you're like, Oh, okay. Oh, wow, I'm so happy. I'm, I'm wrong about that political view. Like, let me just take a step back. So I, I really feel like, um, you know, through that, I've gone through like these phases and, uh, I, that part of the book really, I thought was super interesting because we really do have our political views and how we disagree with each other is just, it's toxic, but it's also fascinating at the same time. And then the second part of that too is, like I said, I already really, really enjoyed the book. There was almost like nothing in this book that I didn't really appreciate and disagree with until the very end. <laughs> There's the last chapter he talks about his, I think it was his brother becoming a doctor and how he was like, like his family, maybe they thought he was going to be a doctor. And then finally, like his brother was like the golden child in that aspect where he saw it through and he worked really, really hard to become a doctor and, you know, I think that he contrasts that with the idea of like the, the fact that like, he's not super happy being a doctor and he uses the idea of grit, like sometimes how grit can work against us um, in a way that like, we're just so, if you're so gritty that you're going after something so hard that you may or may not like, or not like is not probably like, it's probably like a oversimplifying it, but just not, just not necessarily going to be a path that is going to be fulfill you, you know, and you just, because you're so gritty or just, you don't give up, you don't give up. And I just think that that's a slippery slope. I think he, he gives a lot of really great data and information on like all of his points, but in this instance, um, I really would have loved to have heard a little bit more about where he thinks the fine line is between something that, you know, is hard because, you know, at the end of the day, like being a good uh, a business person who has success, you know, it's hard to understand and quantify what that first person is feeling during that part of their lives when they're trying to grow their business. From our eyes, it might be like, wow, that sounds like a lot of work and really, really hard. But like the fulfillment may be there just in a different form. And there's really no way to know, you know, when things get hard in something you feel like you really, really want. To me, if you discount the idea of grit and you, and you take it, take the idea of think again too seriously, then you might just give up too early on something that could have been you know, a a great accomplishment or something you really wanted. And to me, it could ultimately become an excuse if you're not careful. Yeah. So all in all, I I, I thought this was really great. And, um, you know, I look forward to maybe checking out some of his other, other material. Yeah. Thanks for that. I do recommend this as a good read. I think it was very informational, lots of storytelling and lots of good points. Before I hand it over back to you, Mark, just wanted to share some of the main things we discussed today. Mark had said, um, one thing that, you know, really drove home for him was to think like a scientist and be able to pivot 
Kayla talked about how it's possible to take joy in being wrong. That's the point of learning after all. And John touched on how arguments can turn to conversations if we're willing to be open and to find some common ground. So Mark, I'll hand it back to you to wrap up the show. Thanks, Kara. So that sums up this episode of the Agent and Wealth podcast. We'll be back with another book club episode next month. And this selection was recommended by a listener. So we're going to read and uh, discuss Die With Zero, Getting All You Can From Your Money and Your Life. So it's more of a financial type of book. It, although Die With Zero, you would think maybe means run out of money. It does not. It means you know, making the most of your life, enjoying your experiences and and living your life. So on that, if anyone's read or listened to a good book recently, we're always looking for recommendations. Thank you to everyone who tuned in to today's episode. Don't forget to follow the Agent of Wealth on whatever podcast platform you listen to. And we'd love uh, for you to leave us a review. We're currently accepting new clients. If you'd like to schedule a one-on-one consultation with one of our advisors, please do so at boutusfinancial.com backslash call. Thank you for listening to the Agent of Wealth podcast. Click the subscribe button below to be notified when new episodes become available. The information covered represents the views and opinions of the guests and does not necessarily represent the views or opinions of Boutis Financial. The content has been made available for informational and educational purposes only and is not intended to be a substitute for professional financial planning and investment advice. Always seek the advice of your financial advisor or other qualified financial service provider with any questions you may have regarding your investments and financial planning.